0: After Dark, Monday night edition. You know what Monday nights are for here at the Field of 12. It's time to overreact. We had some big results from this weekend in college football. We're going to tell you everything you need to know going forward to prep you for the second half of the season. We got Michael Felder here. We got Trevor Knight here. A very... I don't want to say he needs to be consoled, Trevor Knight, but he looks a little just down right now. You can see in the face. We appreciate him showing up for us, though. Trevor, you hanging in there?
1: Hey, just keep kicking me while I'm down. That's okay. I can handle it. It'll be a fun show. Get the thoughts on it. I need to to relieve myself
0: of some built-up pressure, so it'll be fun. And Felder's playoff ready, like I said last week. He's ready. We got a big series that kicks off later this week, but uh, we appreciate you here to talk some ball with us, though.
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm excited, man. Listen, this was a big week. Like, we had some losers. We had some winners. We got some teams that we thought were going to be losers that turned into winners and teams we thought would be winners that turned into losers. And you know what? I Listen, can we kick off toast? Can we do that? Oh, go ahead. Let's get right into it. Let's go. Hey, man, I'm going to toast to Arizona State, baby. Okay. Wow. Did, did you guys see that coming? Not at all. Not at all. Not at all. No. And... Not only did they get it done, Washington battled back. They got into the game. They tied it up. They were ready to go. And they said, no, 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 Not today. We're gonna put we're we're gonna put you to bed, baby. You sleeping tonight. I don't know if you guys have kids or not, but this is one of those times where you're like, no. You go back into that room and you go to sleep. And that's exactly what they did. So I'm going to toast to Arizona State. Cheers. By well, the way, I'm what I'm with you.
1: the Pac-12 at the beginning of the year, I was like, USC, maybe Utah, uh, Oregon got beat. The Pac-12 is surprising me. It really is, yes. right? All right, my toast of the night is going to a head coach that got a huge win, in my opinion, for his program. He's a, a second-year head coach, I believe. At the University of South Carolina, Mr. Shane Beamer goes to Kentucky, gets a big-time win, and then after the game in the locker room, throws on the shades and gets down and jiggy with it with the boys. Man, big shout-out to Shane Beamer. That's a big win for you. Tough, tough side of the SEC this year. A lot of ball ahead, but – On that side of the conference, getting a win over a Kentucky team that had super high hopes coming into this season is is a huge,
0: huge victory for the Gamecocks. Shane Beamer, cheers to you. Cheers, Beamer. I certainly hope that Will Levis was able to go home and console himself with some mayonnaise and some coffee late that night. never know. Uh, also Felder to your quick question on who called Arizona state. I know one guy who did that's Jimmy Ott from our field, the 12 best bets show. That was his money line underdog of the week. We've now hit two consecutive weeks. So Thursdays, Friday this week, I believe we're doing the best bet show, but Jimmy shout out to Jimmy. Ott. Uh, all right. I'm going to cheers to a team. We're going to spend a whole segment talking about, I don't know if that's against the rules or not, but I got to eat my words, gentlemen. I got to swallow my pride here. I said that LSU was going to beat Tennessee. down in death valley i said that they were going to do that it didn't matter what time this kickoff was the bourbon would be flowing and it's time for me to admit that tennessee is serious boys i mean that was a beat down that thing was over in about 15 minutes so to the balls, and we're going to talk more about you but you got my eyes on you, balls good work and as always, gentlemen, we are brought to you by Bett Rivers. You can listen to us on the SiriusXM app. And if you're watching us on the YouTube channel, please subscribe. Please like. Please get in the comments. Sometimes we will answer your questions. We do the show four nights a week and then on Saturday nights as well. All right, we're going to go straight back to the team I just cheers to because I believe that's the story of the week. And we're going to get into overreaction number one, boys. Tennessee blows out LSU. I said it was a trap game. We talked about this last week with both of you guys. Because they play Alabama next week. Alabama comes to Knoxville. The second time Knoxville is hosting college game day in less than a month. Hendon Hooker looks like the best quarterback in the country right now. So here's the overreaction. Tennessee is going to make the college football playoffs. As simple as
2: that. Felder, do you buy that? You know what? I'm not going to be in for a penny in for a pound, but I can could, I could see it. I could see it happening. If they split those games, especially and let's let's look at the numbers, right? If they lose to Alabama but beat Georgia, a Georgia team by the way that has we're still they're still figuring out who they are. If they split those and find a way to or you know what, it's better if they beat Alabama and lose to Georgia. Then Georgia goes to the SEC Championship game, plays Alabama. Tennessee's just hanging out as an eleven one team. Now they've got a chance. It's better to lose to Georgia, but I, 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 I'm not going to put them all the way in the playoff yet. So I'm not going to do. I'm not going to go that far. I am going to say that I love what this team does—the speed, the space, the high, the Tillman, the the the, the force declaration—and I think that the biggest thing for me was in the run game. And Trevor, I, I want you, I, I, Trevor, get in here because as a quarterback. When you put guys all the way outside the numbers, and then the defense has to declare, which is what Clint Sterner talked about before. Remember, Greg Clint Sterner was talking about you have to declare what you're doing when they're that far outside. Trevor, if you go into a game and that's what your plan is, and they have to declare, how comfortable does it make you? Because when I look at Hidden Hooker, what I see is comfort.
1: Yeah, Hidden Hooker is very comfortable. And I've got personal experience with this because. Josh Heupel, the man calling the plays, the man calling the shots, was my QB coach for three years at Oklahoma. He's the reason that yeah. I became the player that I became. Um, now, I, I didn't get to the level of hitting hooker, but I played a lot better football than if I didn't have Josh Heupel uh, molding me into the player that I was. And, yes, it's about schematics, to your point Felder, spreading it out, getting a good look, Making an athlete have space, but also be able to see the field. That is truly helpful to Hinden Hooker, and it plays well to how he operates, how he sees the field. But I'll say this from personal experience he's so prepared for each and every one of these games because of the process that Josh Hypo puts him through. I, I remember even in the offseason, we would come in and hype would call a meeting. And we'd walk in, think, we're just going to watch some film and do that. We'd walk in the door, and he'd hand us a packet about this thick. And it was nothing but a bunch of blitzes drawn up to all of our different um, uh, pass protections. And it was a mad dash. And he would say, hey, whoever finishes first and gets the the most right he's going to be our starter this year. Boom, 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 boom. We're going through. We're going through. And at first, we're like, what are we doing, man? This This is overkill. This is overkill. This is overkill. But by the end... I guarantee you what? We go out on the practice field. Oh, yeah, I've seen that. I've seen that look before. Oh, I've seen that blitz before. Oh, I've drawn that up 500 times. I know exactly what's coming there. So it gives you freedom of the mind. Now see the coverages. See it all spread out, to your point, Felder, and go and operate and be the athlete that I want to be. I think Josh Hypo is a huge piece to Hooker's success. And obviously a huge piece calling the shots to what Tennessee has done thus far.
0: So Trevor, obviously you have personal experience with Hypel, and I'd love to even hear more about this as we talk about how Tennessee turns the page now in the biggest week of their season, right before they host Alabama with everything on the line in that game. But I have a very simple kind of, I'm almost going to oversimplify the question here. Heupel's second year at Tennessee, seven and six last season. Hendon Hooker was their quarterback the majority of that season. What's the difference from last year's Heupels Balls team to how they've taken this jump so quickly? Because this hasn't been necessarily a 500 season up to okay, maybe a nine and three. Maybe it's building up. They've gone from a 500 team that barely made a bowl game to we're talking seriously about them being a favorite to make the college football playoff this year. What do you think the biggest reason for that is?
1: I'll go first, Felder. I, th- yeah. I really do think it's Josh Heupel, and it's the relationship building. It's the culture building that goes on behind the scenes. If you look at his track, he was at Oklahoma, seeing a lot of success, and I, I, I would imagine that he thought, thought that he was the head coach in waiting and that he was going to follow Bob Stoops, and he was never going to get out of the crimson and cream. But he's gone on this journey. He goes to Utah State. They play really well on offense under him. Then he goes to Missouri, Drew Locke. They put up a bunch of numbers. Then he goes to Central Florida, very successful. A lot of big numbers on offense, and now he's here at Tennessee. He inherits a team that I think had a lot of scars, scabs, and open wounds, and he's just bandaged them all up and bandaged them all up. And I think he's been extremely intentional throughout this offseason, getting the buy-in of every single player – uh, that walks into that locker room, and it starts with the quarterback. And that's why I think that a, a coach like Josh Heupel, even though he's really, really good at, at calling the shots as a head guy, will always be present in that QB room because he understands that room permeates the rest of the team. If you've got a guy that buys into the system and is playing at that position, it will permeate into your culture and, and it's, uh, it's the recipe for success. So to do that in one year or, or now two years, unbelievable. But he's, he's had the track record that has, that has shown it.
2: Yeah, I, I agree with that. I want to be like, I'll, I'll, I'll dumb it down. Um, trust. Those guys in that locker room, trust him. Because uh, like, here's the thing, and Trevor, you know this as well as I do. If a coach comes out and tells you, hey, why don't you line up outside the numbers? You're gonna be like, well, nobody's ever asked me to do this before. Why would I line up outside the numbers? That doesn't give that's only a one-way go. And then he's like, no, 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 no. We've got a thing that we're working on, and this is gonna get us to where we want to go. And you gotta trust me. And those guys trust him. Hooker obviously trusts him. And then with Hooker, as you mentioned, his buy-in leads to Tillman, Hyatt buy-in which leads to the offensive line being like, Oh, all we have to do is this and then we'll be okay. And then the biggest thing for me as a defensive guy is watching that defense show up this weekend. Those guys, they got after it. I mean, they, the sacks, the, the, the aggressive football play that they had, like the aggressive plays that they made was really, really fun to watch. So this is a team and and they use speed and space on the defensive side of the ball, which I don't even know. That's a, like, that wasn't even usually a thing, but, they're 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 dictating on the defensive side the way that they're dictating on the offensive side. So I'm very excited. They have what do they have? The next four weeks, they have three huge games. And that's no disrespect to Tennessee Martin, but we've got Alabama, Georgia, and Kentucky. So let's see what happens. And realistic, like worst case scenario in my mind at least, this could be a 10-2 football team. Ten to two puts them in a New Year's six bowl, right? Ten and two, like if Georgia and Bama go to the playoff, they become the SEC representative. And this is a team that it's all there on their racket. And to answer your, your original question, Greg. Like to answer your original question, how do they go from seven and six to this? It's all trust. Mm-hmm. Football's a game where you have to trust that you got to trust the man that's next to you. And you also have to trust what the coach is telling you to do. And I've been on teams where you either don't trust the guy that's next to you, so you overcompensate. When you overcompensate, that gets you a gap over. When you're a gap over, there's a huge hole for somebody to run through because you're worried about this guy not doing his job. And if you don't trust what the coach is calling, everybody starts doing their own thing. And if you start doing your own thing, again, you're a gap over or you're a gap late or you're you're not in position. But this is a team that looks like they trust what their coaching staff is asking them to do, and I think that's the difference.
0: Yeah, it's extremely high praise for a guy who I think deserves it at this point, And Josh Heupel, Hendon Hooker, I think it's very fair to throw him right in the mix with the CJ Strouds of the world right now in the sure. highest conversation. Half a season left, we got to get there. I also can I think- ask you a
1: question? Can I ask one more question course- to that point, Greg? And I'd love to hear your thoughts on this as well. The success that Josh Heupel has had this first half of the season. If he loses two out of the next four, which is pretty likely, yeah. do, we, do, we, um, do we bury him? Do we send him to the grave? Or is he, still, is he still doing great things? Is it, okay, it's Bama, it's Georgia. If he beats yeah. Kentucky and UT Martin, are we still talking super, super highly about the Tennessee Volunteers? Or does it matter how bad they get beat, if they get beat?
2: I will still continue to talk about him highly. I agree with that. These guys, got they got a lot of runway. Let's not forget, this is what, is year two, year three? Year two? Three. Two. Year two. They got a lot of runway, okay? They got a lot of runway in terms of, say he's been there since 2008. And Kirby's been there, for. has he been there six years? They got runway. They built this. This is a guy who's doing it with other people's guys. And he's still in transfers and he's figuring out a way to make it work. So for me, I, I'm going to, I will continue again. If they go 10 and two, like Trevor, what are we going to do? If if they go 10 and two as a team and they end up in, I don't listen. I'm not going to pretend like I know which balls are make, are making up the playoff this year. Great. Great. Off the top of your head, which balls make the playoff this year? Oh my God. Right, exactly. So that's my point. No, <laughs> no we're not bad at did you do it? But if they go to, whether it's the Sugar Bowl or the Orange Bowl or it's the Chick-fil-A Bowl, whatever it is, if they go to one of those bowls, then you're you're in the catbird seat for whatever comes up next. That's all I'm saying. So, yes, he still gets credit for me.
0: Yeah, yeah, agreed. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's the right answer. If you, I mean, uh, let's say they don't blow a, a – easy one right to the no disrespect to ut martin and i think honestly i think there's a lot of basketball school fans out there that were just happy you threw them in with alabama and georgia in that statement felder but they'll take it. <laughs> right now but if they just take care of business at this point whether that's 10 and 2 whether that's 9 and 3 with the loss to kentucky i think everybody still feels great about tennessee yeah. and heupel after the season um all right so i'm uh i, I can't promise i'm not going to bring josh heupel back up later in the show a little teaser for a few segments from now we'll see when we get there Uh-oh. But for now, we're going to move to the team they play next week. That's Alabama. And look, Trevor, another heartbreaker for you last week. Comes down to one play. Uh, I honestly, I was impressed with uh, the quarterback for Texas A&M. I thought the Haynes King was pretty damn solid for stretches that game. It came down to one play, and I know the ball got out late, and I know he didn't make the play when it mattered. Felder's looking at me like I'm crazy, so I'm excited to hear what he's got here. But – Uh, He played better than I thought he would play in that environment and gave that team a chance to win the game. Alabama, without Bryce Young, you could spin this positively, without Bryce Young, they find a way to grind out a win against a team that's historically caused them some problems. At this point, it's very clear they need Bryce Young back. Hopefully that happens very soon. Hopefully it happens before this game so we can see these teams at full strength play each other. But back to our overreaction theme on Mondays, here's the overreaction. Alabama's reign atop college football is officially over. We've seen enough. If they're gonna struggle with this Texas A&M team, that reign is over. Trevor, you're shaking your head, what do you think? Yeah,
1: not buying it. Alabama is still the Roman army, as we call them. Look at this game,
0: and let me pick out
1: some positives uh, for the Texas A&M bunch, because there's really not many. They lost, all right? But it was a two-point game. You're on the road at the number one team in the country. You play them close. Um, I thought the defense played pretty well overall, forced turnovers. But let's flip it to to Alabama. If they have their Heisman Trophy winner at quarterback, they don't turn the ball over, I believe, four times. That makes the game a lot closer. That being said, too, I mean, Jalen Milrow is a great player. Um, he's going to be a good player. He's going to win them a lot of football games in the future, but he's young and he turned the ball over a lot. So for them to, and I'll say it, sneak out of there with a win is what great teams do in that type of situation. Haynes King played better than we've seen him, but I don't think he played great. I'm actually shocked that you started him at the beginning of the year, you bench him for Max Johnson, Max Johnson gets hurt, and you go back to the guy that you benched instead of giving the young, exciting, five-star freshman a shot. That worries me about Connor Wigman, the freshman. Yeah. That I, and I've said this numerous times now. Either he's not as good as we think he is, or he's not mature enough to be put in there. Um, but credit to Haynes. He battled. I think he's a great kid. He just doesn't have what it takes to go on the road and win in an environment like that, even though it looked a lot closer than it was given the turnovers.
2: I mean, he's, he's been a walking interception. And that's something like, you go back to the Sam Houston game, and I know he threw two, but he should have threw five. Yeah, they, they they, these guys were surprised the football hit them in their hands. Yeah. And so the big thing for me, um, and that's not a knock on King. He's going to get better. He will continue to get better. And with coaching and, you know, this Trevor, as well as I do, like with coaching, you can get better. But the big key for me is like, man, like what did he throw? He was 54, 55% passing in that football in the game against Alabama and nothing, nothing vertical, nothing challenging. And I guess the thing I look at, if you're going to beat Alabama, you do have to challenge them vertically. You do have to challenge them vertically. You do also have to challenge them um, with your shoulders. And Trevor, you know this as well as anybody, right? You've done – you actually have done this with the Mm -hmm. idea of that that little dip where it looks like it's going to be a quarterback run, and then you see those safeties come down, and now we got you. And – he didn't do a lot of those things. And so for me, this was a game where and my buddy, shout out to my buddy Alex Kirshner from Splits on Duo, who talk, he, he calls it playing with your food. Where if Alabama had decided, you know what, we're never going to throw the football the rest of the game. Milrow, Gibbs, we're just going to run the football. That's all we're doing. That's what we do now. We're, we're essentially an option team. If they had decided to do that, they would have been able to grind this team into dust. And I will say – and I'll flip it to the other side because I want to get your thoughts on this, both of you guys' thoughts on this. When Alabama decided we're not playing around with you anymore, when they decided, Will Anderson, Dallas Turner, when they decided we're coming to get you, that was a scary – those were scary moments for A&M for me where they were like, we're going to bring six. And guess what? We will not cover everybody. We can't cover everybody. But we're going to bring six, and we're going to put you on your bottom. And it was just like, whoa. And that that's the part of Alabama, to me, that's a little scary. And that's the part where it, it was clear to me that they made a decision, that they, they figured out how much they could weather and, and live with that. But, I mean, Greg, you watched it. When Alabama decided to turn the heat up, you could feel it, right? So, yes, 100%.
0: And I'm not taking anything away from that in my criticisms here. And part of this is that I'm tasked with playing host on Overreaction Monday. So I'm going to push the limits a little bit. I don't think any of the three of us would look the camera in the eyes right now and say they're dead. They're done. It's Alabama. It's Nick Saban. This is the program to beat until – they go away for multiple years in a row, not yeah. just losing a title game. And then we write them off. That's never going to happen. But what feels different to me about this version of Alabama, and I know they've had the injuries. I know obviously evaluating them without Bryce young is almost a pointless task compared to when they have it. But these, this whole like, well, when they turn the switch thing, right. That whole concept was something we talked about after the Texas game too. And right. This is now two games in a a what six game sample size now where it came down to the final series. And at that point, like, are we sure they're playing with their food? Are we sure there's not a little more vulnerability here than there has been every other year that they've been atop the sport that is going to come back to bite them as soon as maybe this week when they have to play a team as good as Tennessee right now. Right, Trevor?
1: I agree. I agree with that. They are more beatable, I think, than, maybe some other years, Um, and we've talked about Bryce Young is the reason that they are who they are. He's the reason that they're the number one team in the country, now the number three team in the country, that they find a way to win. So not having him and still getting this win, losing the turnover battle four to one, um, I think says a lot about this Alabama team. Now, I've had the injury that Bryce Young has.
2: I was going to ask you about that. I I was going to ask you if you've
1: had it. I couldn't lift – it was throwing arm, same deal. I couldn't lift my arm to brush my teeth without wanting to cry in pain for two weeks. Yep. I was able to come back three weeks later, and I don't even remember how many shots they put in my arm. Um, but it is a tough injury to get through because that's what he does. He's throwing the ball. It's not like, oh, it's muscular or what have you. It is a structural damage, and it is painful. What do you got, Felder?
2: I was going to ask because here's the thing, the difference between you and me, I've had it as well, but I played safety. Right. So we put, you know, we put the Douglas restraint on. So your arm never goes above here and it's all about pain management, right? They'll give you a couple of those 800 MG ibuprofens. Maybe they give you a shot and you can rock and roll, but as a quarterback, you have to be able to feel that whole thing. So just, I just – give 30, can you give us 30 seconds on, like, what that's like as a quarterback to handle that because they bought him a week of not having to play.
1: Right. And, and well, here's – this is the whole deal. Not only are you – you know, you mentioned you're wearing a strap that can let it go to here, and, and maybe on a given play, you're going up to make a play, you're making a tackle, and it goes farther than that, and it hurts like hell. Yeah. But it, you can go right back down and you can kind of relax. If you were throwing the ball all game, let's say it's 30, 40 throws of actual in-game throws, you're throwing 200 throws in warm-ups, in yep. bat-and-go, in all that, where you're doing a full-on 360-degree motion right there on that joint, and it is painful and yep. and. You don't have the zip on the ball. You don't have the accuracy. You can't do the things that you normally would do. There's a mental block behind it. I mean, there's a lot of things that you have to get through. So we will see how bad this injury really was. I know Bryce Young was suited up on Saturday. If he can't go this upcoming weekend to get back to our point, I think Bama is beatable, especially by a team that's playing as good and with as much confidence as Tennessee is right now.
0: But it all is dependent to me on Bryce Young, whether he's in there or not. So let's wrap the Alabama portion of this with uh, just putting a number on that, because I think all three of us agree there. But let's just say, Alabama without Bryce Young, if you're stack ranking that team with Georgia and with Tennessee, one through three, one being best and three being worst, where do you have Alabama without Bryce Young?
2: Two. Two. I think two as
0: well. Two, even without Bryce. Wow. Yeah. All right. All right. Because here's the
2: thing this, what they, what we saw this past week was a stopgap. If they decide that they need to lean into Milro, this offense is going to look completely different. That's true. And I think that's the thing we have. Like we saw in the game that Young goes out, Gibbs was like, okay, I'm going to get the football all the time. And they're going to become a different football team if 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 they realize that he's not going to play, we got to do something different. And I think they become a different football team, but a, still a very good football team.
1: Talk about one thing that we didn't even bring up really quick, and it's yes, kind of changing gears. How bad was the play call on the on the last play of the game by like Jimbo Fisher in that offense? And and I saw a clip that Saban drew up. He's like. We were so lucky. They got in this formation before. We ran the perfect defense. He drew it up. They had help everywhere. And they decided to throw a stop fade, aggressive defense, the last play of the game. And you're going to put – now, granted, Evan Stewart's a fantastic football player. Sure. But you're going to put him one-on-one and try and run a complete go ball, put your foot in the ground, try and create separation, force your quarterback – that hasn't been very accurate all game, to put the ball on the money on time. He was late, way outside. It, it, to me, I think that Jimbo put his quarterback and the rest of that team in a bad position on that play. I mean, this is not Aaron Rodgers and, and um, you know, Devontae Smith or, you know, whoever. It's not Pat
2: Ma- this is a Pat Mahomes this play. Isn't,
1: right. This isn't, right? This is Haynes King who's lucky enough to play as well as he had. We've got one play left. Hand the ball off to Devon Achain and, and hopefully have a shot. I mean, he's gotten two, three yards of pop all game. I'm going to
2: put this out there. I feel like the hay was already in the barn. You played them tight. Tight's enough. That's enough. Yeah.
1: But the fact that you had a play to win it, and that was your play call, just put a dagger in the side <laughs> of the neck. Oh, wow
0: oh god yeah uh is that enough to extend jimbo fisher he plays alabama close you think they flip back aggie's fans are happy now
2: no they're not happy but they're not as, as upset as they're not as upset as they would have been if he got his behind look right right i was just curious you know some programs as long as you're uh you
0: got your one team you care about beating as long as you perform against them you can well, buy a little time i just curious. i love
2: the way i love your work into the segue <laughs>
0: I'm just curious. I'm just curious. Uh, speaking of that, as Felder noted, we're going to move to the red river shootout, the red river showdown uh, this year. It should be the red river shutout. I'm sorry for the pun on that, but you can buy a shirt over at a uh, field of 68. Shop. If you want to commemorate the red river shutout this year, look, this is uh, essentially, I think this is actually statistically their worst loss to Texas ever in this series. Oklahoma has surrendered 105 points in the last two weeks of football. So, uh, here's the reaction. Oklahoma should fire Brent, Brent Venables. Trevor, I mean, this is this is your program. You've come out. You've said some controversial things. Uh, you, you told us behind the scenes. You were getting accosted from some people for not taking it too lightly on your Sooners. But, I mean, look, this is bad right now. Let's call it what it is. What do they do?
1: It's very bad. It's very, very bad. In terms of the overreaction, do you fire Brent Venables? The answer is no. The answer is no for every first-year head coach. That being said, this does not happen at the University of Oklahoma, and it hasn't happened. Three regular season losses in a row. You don't put up a single point versus your biggest rival in the greatest atmosphere in college sports, one of them, if it's not your personal favorite for our listeners, and you let – a Texas team who is extremely beatable. And we've seen that when they traveled to Lubbock and got beat by a a pretty pedestrian Texas tech team, make you look like an FCS team, 49 to nothing in a big time rivalry game. And you can point the finger, a lot of different areas, pointed at Brent Menables in the defense. Again, that's three weeks in a row now with plus points, almost 150 points in three games cannot happen. Pointed at Jeff Levy, the offensive coordinator. You put up a goose egg, and you really haven't generated much offense in the last couple weeks. Outside of Kansas State, I thought the offense played pretty good that week. Is, it, is Dylan Gabriel that good? Or can you not find a way to push the ball down the field? Davis Bevel, the quarterback room at Oklahoma. Your starter goes down. You got to step up to the plate. This guy threw for over 100 yards and a touchdown in a really tight game of Michigan last year when he was at Pitt. Now, granted, he had um, um, in to throw to, but you throw, you go six for 12 for 38 yards and an interception in, in an opportunity for you to go out there and showcase your talent. Unacceptable. You can look at every Phase of the game, and you could probably point every player that touched that field and just say, Hey, on that play or this day, the way that you came to try and compete was unacceptable. You're the University of Oklahoma. You cannot lose 49 to nothing in this football game. It was horrible to watch. I was there. I enjoyed my Fletcher's Corny Dog and a couple beers, but
2: that's about it. Well, here's the thing I'm going to ask both of you guys. Do we think that Texas is 49 points better than Oklahoma roster roster?
1: No,
0: never have been.
2: Never should be. And I no, I agree with you. So what? So we 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 all agree that they're not 49 points better than this roster. This isn't this isn't Texas playing, you know, um, um, you know, incarnate word or whoever. This isn't that. This is them playing Oklahoma. So, okay, so we have to go to another level. What's the difference? I think preparation, Sunday to, Sunday to Friday. Sunday to Friday becomes a problem. So what's going on Sunday to Friday that we can't fix? And, again, as we mentioned, 105 points over the last two weeks, that's another week of Sunday to Friday. And Venables – Well, I I love. I think he's as a defensive coordinator. But this might be the reason why that Bud Foster was like, "No, I don't want to do this. Yeah, I don't want to be the head coach. I never want to be a head coach. I just like coaching defense. Like to just do my little thing, and that's my thing." Because Vittable said he goes, "There's a lot of stuff I don't know about, and I'm trying to learn." He said that during media days. And if him learning is going to be him also shirking that responsibility of being a defensive coordinator. Of being the, the the heart of of the defense being the heart and soul of that team, then there becomes a problem because the biggest thing that I saw, it wasn't the forty nine points, it wasn't even the offense. The biggest thing that I saw was business decisions from the defense. Guys that clearly didn't want to be there anymore or didn't want to keep playing in the game, and that to me was more heartbreaking than anything obviously nobody's more heartbroken than you Trevor but as someone who's watched Venable's from Oklahoma to Clemson back to Oklahoma the his defense has always had this like their chest was always puffed out there was always real pride they were always ready to rock and roll these were guys that showed, these were the guys that like these were guys you know what these guys were and I get it. I'm the only person that's from the South here. Like I, or or from the Southeast, but these were, these were, this is Chipper Jones showing up during snowmageddon in Atlanta on his ATV and ready to rock and roll. That's what Britt Venable's defenses have been in the national championship game. He took out three starters and put in a walk on and two other guys that nobody had ever heard of because they didn't do their job. And I don't, I think he doesn't feel empowered to do that at Oklahoma right now because he's trying to win the roster over and it feels really weird. And I'm not excusing him, but what I am saying is that I just don't think he has the wherewithal. I I, I don't know. I don't know what it, I don't don't know what it is. And it's going to be interesting to see how it works out. And I'm sure he's on the phone with Dabo, being like, how do I fix this? What am I supposed to do? But it's, To watch the defense flounder in that way, for me, as someone who's followed Venables over the course of time, has been very – like, they – like, Stoops – Bob fired his brother for him. Yep. Like, he fired his own brother for Venables. He's like, no, no. This guy's good. You go somewhere else. And it just is – I don't know. That's the part to me that's really heartbreaking and, and and frustrating. It just, I thought at least at the minimum, they would look a little bit more like um, Cal, right, with Justin Wilcox. Where at least Cal defensively, they still are feisty and they find a way and they're looking for things and they're trying to be a problem. This defense just kind of laying down, and the lack of tackling. That hurt me way more than anything offensively, and obviously they tried the the. Oh, Trevor, what did you think about the no quarterback offense?
1: I, I thought they should have never gotten out of it. Braden Willis, number nine, gets back there. He's the best player on the football team, and, and I don't yes. think it's really close. Um, I liked that wrinkle, but it also was disappointing because it showed that whatever the preparation was, talking about you know Sunday through Friday. They did not have confidence in Davis Bevel, and and it showed up. And and I think that's that could – I don't know. I wasn't there. That could be a coaching issue that you don't get this guy in a position to say, hey, just manage it. Like, we know you have enough to – make. you don't have to go be a hero. Just manage it. But they didn't get to a point where he could even manage it. They got in zero rhythm other than that package.
2: And – excuse me, I think – If Eric Gray doesn't throw that interception, you think they keep running it for the rest of the game? I think they should.
1: I think they should. They got out of it in the red zone at the other end, and and they shouldn't have. They ended up sputtering. Um, I I think that, though, because the offense never got in the rhythm, it was much more stressful on the defense. That said, to your point, Brent Venables, I will still say, best defense in mind in college football, he has proven that until he's proven not. We're getting here to where it's like, okay, we may may start talking, maybe it's somebody else. But I've played against Brent Venables' defense – he waxed us when he was at Clemson. I couldn't find a guy to throw to. I looked like Davis Bevel out there, right? Yeah. Um, but what I was disappointed in is answer the bell, answer the call, guys. Like somebody stand up. No. Run through two weeks in a row. You're on the tabloids. You're ev- everybody's talking. To you ear how bad you've played as a man. I don't care who my coach is. I don't care anything. I'm going to go out there with my hair on fire and prove that I should be on this defense and that we should be the defense that we set out to be. And you don't see that in this Oklahoma team going into this game, 49 nothing. I mean, it's just tough to swallow, man.
2: Yeah.
0: You guys have been around way higher level players and coaches <laughs> in football than I will ever be. So I'm, I'm not going to jump in and tell you anything you haven't heard before. But the only thing I would add to this conversation – is just that anyone who would want to point fingers at Brett Venables right now, you don't get to the level of coaching that Brent Venables is without being a great football coach. Like, let's For just sure. make one thing very clear. Now that said, being a great football coach does not mean you have great success at a program like Oklahoma. That's not the only thing that a job like that entails. And to your point, Felder, Uh, maybe there are certain levels of politics. Maybe there are certain other things that don't allow you to make some cutthroat decisions that you might at a different program that you might not be able to make at a place like Oklahoma, or maybe you have to navigate that, or maybe you have to find a way to motivate a team because you guys do know this. The football season can be a long beast at certain times. We're only halfway through the season and this, this Sooners team cannot stop playing these games. So I am very interested to see what happens from here for Venables. Um, and I will, I will end this segment with just this. I'm so sorry to put Trevor through this right now. But I'm going to ask you the question, Felder. Trevor can hide his face if he wants here. Let's pretend buyouts don't exist, Felder. Oklahoma calls Josh Heipel tomorrow and offers in the Oklahoma job. Think he jumps to Oklahoma?
2: No, I don't think he wants it. I don't think he wants it
0: just because of how good he is at Tennessee right
2: now, just because the grass. No, I think there's, I think there's some other stuff behind the scenes and, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to put Trevor on the spot, but from talking to folks from everything I understand, I don't think he's not, I don't think he's coming back ever.
1: It was a tough way out. I was a part of it. Um, I, I, I sometimes look at it. I was the quarterback that whole year. We went eight and five, which led to him, his departure um makes me feel bad as a guy he's I mean he's the last quarterback to win a national championship at the University of Oklahoma runs through his blood right I mean he's he's been very successful there he's very successful there as a coordinator I mentioned my praise to him in, in his development of quarterbacks I think to answer your question Greg if he was still at UCF and this job came open now he's in the running for it and it's a conversation of hey Let's let's kiss and make up. We want you back type of deal. Now that he's so early on and seeing his success at Tennessee, he's not gonna come away from that. I think it was just overlapped by by one year really that caused him to not even be in the conversation. And I
0: and I think he's okay with that. I think he's very happy with where he's at there in in Knoxville. Yeah. I think it would be hard not to be at this point. Okay. All right. Well, thank you for entertaining my absurd hypotheticals here on Overreaction Monday, boys. Let's move to the West Coast, where uh, we have a team in the Pac-12 that is not the USC Trojans, that is making some noise. That's UCLA Bruins. And look, I don't know if this should have surprised us as much as I think it did. But they knocked off Utah. And a lot of us had Utah as the preseason Pac-12 champions. I certainly did. I know everybody loves the toughness of that team. I think it's about time that we take UCLA seriously. And my overreaction is the Bruins are the best team in the PAC 12 as of today, October 10th, this is the best football team in that conference. Felder, what do you think?
2: I buy it. They're tough. Anytime, anytime you can fight Utah like that. And I understand it was a home game, but what's, what's that mean? What's that mean in the Rose bowl? Honestly, like, there were a lot of Utah fans there. I don't know if you guys watched it, but there were a lot of Utah fans there. And then there was a lot of nobody there. So I think that they they showed up. And obviously USC is kind of the, the – the Trevor, you know, you know I, I think that UCLA, I do think that they are. I think that there's a toughness about them that I respect and that I really love because this is a team that they hang their hat on running the football. And the way that those defensive linemen have started to play has been really inspiring for me. I think USC is still trying to find that part. I assume that you're going to go with Lincoln Riley, USC.
1: I am. I am right now just because I just think USC has more firepower. Yes. Um, and, and, And I thought Christian Hackenberg on our last show made a really good point that I don't think USC's got out of second gear yet this year. Right. I think they still have more, um, more to um, unleash on the offensive side of the ball. I mean, Caleb Williams and, and that cast, they go out there and they play seven on seven. It yes. will be interesting when they come up against a Utah defense or a UCLA team that's playing great all the way around um, and they face some adversity I think that UCLA is obviously – that's where we're talking about it. They're surprising everybody. Um, This weekend will be another huge one because they got to play Bo Nix in that Oregon team that I think is playing really good football right now as well. So it's those things like, yeah, we're six weeks into this season, but I'm still not to the point. And I'm pretty conservative, I guess, about this stuff. I'm still not to the point where I'm completely buying this. They've still got – to prove a little bit to me. But Dorian Thompson-Robinson, phenomenal, playing great football. Obviously, we know that Chip Kelly is one of the best minds in college football. And and maybe it was just, hey, let's ride with Chip Kelly, let's ride with Chip Kelly, let's ride with Chip Kelly. And and maybe we were seeing the things that he implemented back in the Oregon days now showing up here at UCLA. I'm not not buying them. I'm just not going to put them over USC Quite yet, but that's going to be a fun one to watch towards the end of the season.
2: Well, I think the I think the cool thing with USC and and, and I think you hit the nail on the head. and You and Hack mentioned it, the firepower, right? Not getting out of second gear because the thing, the way that I think about football all the time is a touchdown is one play, and there's no team. If we go across the nation, USC, Ohio State. <sighs> sometimes Alabama, but the reality of it is, is USC and Ohio state are the two teams where that one play feels real. Where it's, if you're down 14, that means we need to have the ball back for three plays so that we can score the score, the football. And then we're now it's tied. And that's the part that's interesting to me, but with UCLA, I just think that they are, they're growing into who they want to be. And that's the scary part. What do you got, Greg? So I was just
0: going to ask Trevor uh, off of his point. I think you, you said you can't fully get there with UCLA. How much of that is because of who's under center for them at quarterback? Because so I know we talked about this last week, and I kind of I floated to you and hack, I believe. Uh, is it crazy that I feel like I trust DTR more than I trust Cam Rising right now? And I was really impressed with the way DTR played, not just the weeks leading up to this past week, but I thought he was dominant under center for UCLA in that game.
1: No, oh, he is. He, he is. He's, I mean, he's stepping up in a huge way to the point where and, and I'm biased because I'm a quarterback and I think that a lot flows through that position. But you look at it and if you've got a quarterback playing with confidence, it raises everybody else's game. And I'm not just talking about the offensive side of the ball. That's the defensive side of the ball. Right. I love the game of football because even though you practice on different fields, there's an offensive yep. field and a defensive field. You really don't spend much time around the opposite side of the ball. On Saturdays, it all comes together to where it truly is a full-team sport. And if you've got confidence, if you've got rhythm going on on, let's say, the offensive side of the ball, that translates to the other side of the ball and you get this whole culture of winning. And, And I think DTR is stepping up and saying, hey, look, I'm here. I'm here to stay all you guys I'll look you in the eyes across this locker room you can trust me now are you going to do your job and you got a guy standing like up like that you're going to end up being successful and winning some football games
2: but I think we got that with him It, it, it it didn't happen as quickly as we thought right we we thought this is the guy that backed up Tate Martell Tate Martell what's he doing now and and then Backed up Tate Martel and then so he had to play wide receiver in high school. He didn't get as many reps at quarterback as he should have probably got because he was behind another guy who was a superstar. And then he gets the reps and he for one season out of out, out at Bishop Gorman, and then he steps in. And we thought he was going to be a star immediately at UCLA. And it took him time. And sometimes it takes a time. But guess what? And I think the difference, and I, I look at him the way I look at Kenny Pickett, right? It took Kenny Pickett, what, four, five years to get to where? He, to be a first-round draft pick, it took DTR the same amount of time. And the difference is Kenny Pickett didn't come in with a lot of fanfare because prior to Pitt, he was a temple commit. DTR was a guy that everyone thought was going to be an instant success. And, hey, guess what? It took him some time. But it's taken him time, and it's this is the beauty of it. This is mm, chef's kiss. It's taken him time with the same coach this isn't a guy that's had multiple coaches so if you don't think that him and chip kelly are on the same page you're crazy these guys know they're they're in each other's minds this is some hannibal lecter stuff going on right here You i'll, know tell, what I mean? you,
1: I'll tell you what else about these two teams specifically uh usc and ucla is, is impressive yeah. to me is they're incredibly balanced on offense. It's not yes. like we talk about Caleb Williams and we talk about DTR being phenomenal throwers of the football, which they are, and they're yes. being very, very efficient doing so. But you've got Travis Dye and Zach Charbonnet, I think it's nice. Charbonnet how is a monster. Dude, monster, monster. He's got, what, 120-plus yards
2: two games ago? Almost 200 this past game? You Let me ask you this, Trevor. Utah. They did not want to tackle him. When you're a quarterback and you you give that, you hand that ball off, and then you see guys just ankle biting, snipping at, snipping at shoelaces, what does that do for you? Like, you got to get up and be like, yeah, let's go, boys.
1: So, I mean, look at these stats. DTR, 18 to 23, 299. Let's call it 300. Yeah. 300 yards, four touchdowns in the air. Mm-hmm. But why was he able to do that? Charbonnet Charbonnet. 22 carries 198 let's call it 200 and another touchdown it's complimentary football you play complimentary football you talked about it with the Tennessee game spread it out bring it in what's the defense going to do they're going to load the box all right we'll beat you through the air all right we're gonna we're gonna drop eight all right we'll hand the ball off. when you got that compliment that's what you saw with Baker Mayfield and Joe Mixon that's what you saw with Matt Liner Reggie Bush like Yep. Those are the teams. And window
2: White.
1: Is, yeah, no doubt. Those are the teams where you're like, all right,
0: those guys are virtually unstoppable, and that's why they're being successful.
2: Right. Yeah.
0: So uh, we, we will end the show tonight with our three stars of the week. We're going to get to that in just a moment. And uh, I, I seriously considered going the entire UCLA backfield for two of my three stars this week. I restrained myself, but I did take one of them. So no spoilers. We'll get there shortly. Uh, we are going to spend – three minutes max on our final overreaction because I insist that we move to my big 10 boys. We can't go an entire episode without talking about the big 10 Michigan struggled in a win. Not the first time that's happened this season. They were tied at halftime with Indiana. They pull away. They win by three scores. They host Penn state this week in Ann Arbor must win game for whoever wants to come out of that division. Obviously, the end of the season, obviously, we know Michigan plays Ohio State. Ohio State still has to play Penn State as well. So here's an overreaction. And you guys can feel free to just shut this down. Like I said, we have two minutes here. So just tell me I'm stupid if I'm stupid. No Big Ten team will make the playoff is my overreaction. None of these teams are that good. They're going to cannibalize each other. We're going to see some sort of split. Michigan beats Penn State. Penn State beats Ohio State. Vice versa. Something. And this miserable conference with the other division that's the worst division in football by the way is going to get <laughs> shut out of the playoffs felder am i crazy
2: you're crazy listen one of these the- one of these teams is not like the other and that's ohio state because they're good they're actually good they're very good Knowles has got them cooking so penn state can beat michigan michigan can beat penn state none of them are going to touch ohio state trevor what you got
1: I I agree with you to an extent. Now, I'm not selling off my shares of Michigan quite yet. Just you struggle a little bit, this is the same Michigan team from last year that we kind of just let go and go and go, and they ended up having a phenomenal year. I think that they have the ability, because they've been there, and a lot of guys in this locker room have been there, to go into that Ohio State game and potentially – shake up some feathers that being said i'm just trying to i'm trying to play devil's advocate here ohio <laughs> state's phenomenal to, to to answer your question greg there will be a representative from the big 10 in the playoff because one of these teams will emerge and, and i'm with felder I, I think it will be ohio state uh but let's let's keep our eye on michigan for a
0: little while longer
2: I don't need to watch them anymore, man. I mean, I watched – 75% of that Indiana game was booty.
0: Yeah, you're not wrong.
2: <laughs> I, I wish I could say you were well, wrong. But we could say that. that about
0: Georgia as well
1: in, in a couple of their games, right?
2: Yeah, no, you're not wrong about that. I just – you're not wrong. The Kent State game and obviously the Mizzou game, You're they trailed most of the Mizzou game. You're right. Like, yeah, you know what? You, you've convinced me. I'm, I'm in. Let's – I'll keep watching them and I'll keep paying attention and I'll I'll stay focused. But are,
1: are we? Are it, doesn't, we
2: all, it doesn't feel the same.
1: Are we all in agreement, though, that Penn State is is by far in third place in that rat rat race?
2: What are they? I
1: don't know. I don't know.
0: Hack hack! <laughs> we need you. Yeah, the spirit of Christian Hackenberg can only carry a program for so long, boys. Uh, Also, I just want to throw out that when I was about 18 beers deep this Saturday afternoon in East Lansing, Michigan, and CJ Stroud threw a pick six to tie the game at 7-7, Ohio State was looking real vulnerable to my beer goggles, just for a moment there, okay? Everything changed. A bus came crashing very quickly after that, and the rest of my Saturday was spent just like Trevor Knight's Saturday was, but for just a brief moment there when the best quarterback in the country threw a pick six to give me some false hope. It was beautiful. I'm All right. Say, listen,
2: you, you know, my wife went to Michigan state. So. so your wife's
0: probably smarter than I am with how she's approaching the season. I talk myself into it. Every year. She
2: missed the, she missed the pick six. because She took our daughter for a walk and she was like, I guess I'm not going to really watch this game. And then she came. by the time she was back in to watch the game, she was like, Oh no. <laughs>
0: Yeah, again, smarter than I. I took my talents to East Lansing this week just to Woo! be guillotined. It was All fun. right, here we go. Yeah, let's do. Let's end with our three stars, gentlemen. All right, so this is how it works every week. We have a quarterback, we have a skill player, and we have a defensive player who is our star of the week. All three of us have three. We're going to go around the horn. We'll each do quarterbacks, and then we'll do skill players, and then we'll end with defense. So let's start with quarterbacks. Felder, you're up first. Throw it to Trevor, then throw it back my way.
2: I'm going to go, Henry Hooker. Hunter Hunker's amazing. I, I, this is a guy again, speed and space. He doesn't throw interceptions, doesn't make mistakes, and he adds those legs into it. So I think that he deserves it. He's he's starting a, a four. This is week one of a five week plan, and we're gonna get on it, Trevor. Who you got?
1: So I, I need I need a lot longer for this, and I'm so thankful we only have a few minutes left because I was very prepared <laughs> to like completely just bow this guy's feet for what I've said to, about him. Quinn Ewers, I'll be brief. You proved me wrong. You played well. I don't think Oklahoma's all that great on defense, so you still gotta to prove to me more, but you beat us 49 to nothing. You were 21 to 34, four TDs. Again, 49 to nothing. I had to watch that freaking mullet run around the stupid stadium all day.
0: Congrats, man, I guess. <laughs> I mean, that's just the best cheers to a, a star that we've had in shows history forever. So kudos to you being the bigger man, being honest about it. I'm uh, I'm, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm still kind of passive about it. Go ahead. <laughs> I'm going DTR. Simple as that. You read his stats earlier in the show. You gave him the 300 instead of the 299 as a quarterback should. But uh, I think he's dynamic as hell, and I think he's going to beat USC whenever that game is. I don't know when that game is, but I'm buying the Bruins. All right, let's do our, our skill players next. Felder, who you got?
2: I'm quick on this one. Michael Mayer, tight end, Notre Dame, arguably. So Georgia fans, shut up. Arguably the best tight end in the country. Uh, I don't understand how people don't cover him. 11 catches this weekend. I don't understand how people don't cover him. And I'm not talking about contested catches like mossing people. I'm talking about he's running free through zone coverage. Like people don't know where he's – like every play should be going 87's right there, 87's right there, and they don't do that. Uh, Trevor, who you got?
1: Exit Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave. Insert Marvin Harrison Jr. Yeah, the guy's starting to really step up. Seven catches, 131 yards, three touchdowns. He's got nine touchdowns on the year for that Ohio State team. Um, he's he's really gaining some confidence. He's a lot of fun to watch. Big time playmaker, Marvin Harrison, Marvin Harrison Jr. Marvin Harrison Jr. Excuse me.
0: He's a freak. I'm going my first back-to-back star. I did this last Monday. Blake Corum, best running back in the country, 25 carries, 124 yards, ho-hum. He's just been the constant. That's what I keep referring to him as. He puts this out every single week. He makes J.J. McCarthy's life as easy as it possibly could be, and Michigan remains unscathed to defense. Felder, who you got?
2: Uh, Dallas Turner, Alabama. And this is what I talked about. This is what I alluded to when I was talking about them getting after the quarterback. It's not just Will Anderson. Dallas Turner also gets to the quarterback. Um, Two tackles for loss, two sacks. This is like they have the ability to do this. When they decide to turn it up, don't get no hotter. There's no kitchen hotter than when Alabama decides to turn it up. I got to go with him. I got
1: Jaden Hill playing through pain. Had a pick six in the game this weekend that ended up being a big-time deciding factor in a one-score game, Florida Gators. Um, Jaden Hill, Hats I to you through a little pain having a pick six. It's a big-time play.
0: Yeah, I'm going the same route as you, Felder, but a different name. I'm going Brian Branch. Nine tackles, led Alabama in this game. He had two of them for loss. I was super impressed with the way that Crimson Tide defense tightened up, especially on the final drive of the game when it mattered most all right boys this was another fun show field of 12 after dark we'll be back tomorrow night tuesday night and hear the rest of the week as well on the sirius xm app and on our youtube channel uh for michael felder for trevor knight i am greg waddell we'll see you tomorrow night